But anyway, my name is Yahya Yunana. Um, I'll be taking you on this class. And we'll be discussing business plan and business model. I'll just double check that everybody is uh, and get the audio. Okay. All right. So um, the intent of this this class is that at the end of it that you'll be able to put together a business plan and then understand what a business plan is, be able to put it together and defend it when you face nice how to defend or for an interview with respect of your, your business. But also um, to understand what a business model is, the importance of the business model and to be able to look at and be clear what business model best works for your, your business. So it's, it's kind of action packed you need to be at all through the discussion, be able to look at how does it apply to my business? How am I going to apply it? And my suggestion would be that you have a notebook. As we discuss, you're reflecting on your business and you can jot down the points that you pick, you know. So you would have been making certain decisions along the way and refining some of the thinking and the framing of the business. Now I have here an iceberg and you will see that just below the waterline, the iceberg below the waterline is a lot bigger than what you see on the surface. And that's what a business model is. Your business plan really sits on a robust business model. If you really don't have a sound foundation, which is your business model, your business will, will not survive the dynamics of today's business environment where there's so much change. So, uh, I'm sure some people are conversant with their business model, but there are people who are not conversant. So, I would urge you to be careful listen and ask if you have any questions. Um, Join your question in the chat room and then we'll try to go through. Okay. I'll switch on my videos to be sure that I have um, enough bandwidth. All right, just to stress down the point about the iceberg, we all see success, but analyze success.
Hello? Hello. Hello. Yeah, hello. Michael, he'll be eating this bread well and stop pouring the thing. Cut the one you cut and he'll be eating it well. Hello? Hello? Yeah, hello. Can you hear me now? Yeah, it's, it's, it's coming up. Hello? I'm sitting there. 
Can you hear me now? Yes. It should be better. Okay. All right. Sincere apologies, please. Okay. Um, just to stress the point that we really need to be focused and active in the class so that we can make the most of it. Tendency is for us to forget what we are as time goes on. And you'll find out that at the end of the day, you might just remember about 35% or so of what we're doing. But if we engage in discussion and application of what we are learning, um, then we have the capacity to be able to absorb a lot more. So my suggestion would be that if you have any questions or any thoughts, um, feel free to share it through the chat room. Um, if we have discussions, that helps embed what we are discussing. I'd appreciate you just try to mute your, your devices, please, because we're hearing some noises at the background. Okay, so I'd like you to just go to the chat and just type what type of business you are in and the number of years you've been in the business. So we have a sense of who is in the class and the kind of backgrounds that we have. So we can and feel free if you if you have any contributions from your experience, just um, chip in and let us know. So just go through the chat and just type in what type of business you're you're into and how many years you've been in. If if you are a startup, just state that you're a startup. So while that's going on, because we've lost time, I'll go ahead with the discussion and I'll go back to the chat to just take a look at that. At, at any point, if you don't hear me, please just let me know. Okay. All right. So a bit about myself. I've largely been a geologist until I got into business. And right now, this is what I do. Alongside with Ramban, and the others that you've um, you've come across, I'm involved with them in Izinia, and we are a community of business people um, sharing ideas, helping ourselves, supporting each other in this very challenging journey of doing business in Nigeria. That's what I do for a living now. But prior to that, I worked in oil industry and in water supply. Um, before this, and I've been doing this for about three years, five years with Zinia. So that's it about me. Um, so I've been through the pains of trying to set up a business and run a business. So. Okay, so let's talk about business model. Um, the one thing we know about the future is the fact that it's uncertain. And nobody expected COVID-19 was going to come and have the kind of impact it's had. It was unimaginable, but it happened. And so a lot of what lies ahead is what we don't know. You know, what we do know is what we have, is history. But then everything we're doing, the business you're planning, the business plan you're, you're putting forward is a forecast, is a prediction for the future. So, we need to be 
most of what we need to know to make good decision today is really outside the view of what we know. So we can only imagine and make prediction based on what we know. And that is why the business plan, I mean, the business model becomes very important that it captures the level of uncertainty that may emerge in the future so that when those uncertainties emerge, your, your business is not, um, um, does not collapse. And I think COVID-19 just sends that message straight on to us and it's, it's something we can relate to. So bear that in mind, the challenge of the risk of fear, whether it's competition or factors that can happen outside your control. But also the other side that out there in the marketplace, there's competition. So you come in with a new product and the product grows in the market and it stabilizes, it matures, but it begins to decline because competitors come in. And so your profit to the product life cycle comes in. And then, uh, sorry, competition comes in and then you're confronted with a situation where your competitors are using what they're leveraging on what you know and what you're doing and adding new features. And so they beat you. So competitors would end up having more sales and more market share if you don't do anything and you just continue because you had first mover advantage and you, you think that is enough to keep you going. How do you mitigate that risk? This is some of the things that if you have a robust business model and other things that you do can help you. So if you reflect on that um, plot that we had, it's the same plot here, but what we're doing is saying, at the point where your product matures and you innovate, you're able to create another wave of growth Either because you're introducing new products or you're changing the features or the way you're offering the product. So you have ideas like blue ocean strategy, design thinking, your business model innovation that you can use to be able to create another wave of growth for your business in terms of your product or service portfolio. So I bring this here to just stress the point that your business model innovation would help you in doing that. Otherwise, you're going to just find yourself in this kind of scenario. So you can't remain a force mover. I mean, the force mover advantage will not be there for you forever. You need to do something to be able to ramp up and either beat this competition consistently or be able to compete with them as peers. So, so let's get into the discussion about business model. I will start with just looking at these examples and just reflect on them. These businesses are largely within the same sector, same type of business. Yeah. Before you go forward, please. Sorry, please, uh -huh. before you go forward, finally, please, uh, let me just uh, uh, give the, the, uh, the, the last slide, sorry. Sorry, just, just a second, please. This one? No, no, not this one. Yes, oh. this. Thank you. 
All right. Can continue, sir. Thank you. Okay. All right. So, so let me just reflect. What are the commonality, commonalities between these businesses? What's common to these businesses? Just type in, in the chat room what you think is common across these businesses. So just type it, pick it up from there and then continue the discussion with your inputs. Okay, so the whole transport business, now we're talking about what is common about them. So they all use vehicles, they use drivers, they use fuel, they move people from one place to another. What else? You need some form of financing to be able to do this. They need customers or passengers for the business to run. Okay. All right, they all pay taxes. Okay. So what differentiates them? So Taxi, Uber, car rental service. Okay. The start of operation is okay. You go to Hearts, you go to drive the car yourself. If you rent a car, nobody's going to drive it for you. There's a lot more convenience with Uber than there is with the Abuja taxi. The prices are different. The level of comforts are different. The level of convenience is different. You can keep a car, rented car, and if you like to use this for 24 hours, you're able to use it at your convenience and you have your privacy, okay? Uber is a lot more online, yeah? Abuja taxi is zero when it comes to being online. So, so as you really reflect on this, they're all doing the same business, but the way they're structured, the people they serve, the way they serve them, the way they engage with them, the kind of relationship. Your Abuja taxi guy doesn't know you. 
the Uber guy knows you so well that he has your history. So they are likely the same business, but there's a differentiation in the way they deliver that. And that's essentially what a business model does. They have customers, they have product or service offering. It's a way they engage with the customers. It's the way they make money. The way Uber makes money is not the way that Abuja Taxi makes money. All cards makes money, but they all make money. And that's what a business model does. Same physical resources, more or less. The way they are are so different. And the service they offer are different. So keep this stuff as we progress the discussion as well. Okay, so Uber is barely just about 11 years, but look at its coverage. There's no other transport company that has the level of coverage, number of customers, revenue profile, number of drivers employed, number of trips, you know, 10 scale. But this is this is a lifelong, it's ever been there, transportation has ever been there. What made Uber be able to do this is the way they structured their business model. And if you look at it here, um, a bunch of customers in the US, and you see how the market share, the hash profile, right? Is the ride hailing. Ride hailing involves Uber, Taxify, and all the rest, both, and all that. And you see the taxis, since 2014, their market share has gone down from almost 60% to 20% for rental cars, sorry. And then from almost 40% to just about maybe three, 4% for taxis. And that is largely market share that has been taken away by the right hailing business. And if you look at the next plot below, these are New York City daily trips for taxi, Uber, and Lyft. Uber is black, and you see how that has progressed from 2016 to 2019. So they have a significant um, volume of business compared to the others. The only reason is because they've been able to bring a product or a service that has attracted people. And the philosophy behind that and the basis for that is their business model, which has helped them define the offering of the product in a way that it serves people and it's more convenient for people. So as you think about what Uber has done, you almost can live your life without owning a car. And you take a city like New York, for instance, it's more expensive for you to own a car because parking is so expensive. And then you have to go find parking and all that. So that is what the power of the business model can do. And the thing to always realize the fact that if you want it is a new business, it's the same business of transportation, but that it's been configured differently and it has this significant impact. Well, let's just delve into it a bit. 
So every business needs capital. But Uber has re-engineered the way the vehicles, the millions of vehicles that are in their portfolio are funded. They are not having to borrow money like Hertz to go and fund these vehicles. They've created more jobs in millions. There's a lot more flexibility in the way they operate and the service they offer. The income is distributed across quite a number of people, you know, from the car owners to the drivers to Uber itself. And the business is scalable. They're able to add in more vehicles. If Hertz were to add in more vehicles, they'll have to go find money. The last time I checked, Hertz was almost filing for bankruptcy. You know, but the way their funding structure is allows them to scale it because they kind of crowdsource the way the business is, is built. And then you have this extensive coverage across 65 countries and you have a very diverse value proposition, both to the vehicle owners, to the drivers, to Uber itself, the IT company, and all that, then to the customers. So that's the sense in which a business model, if crafted well, can really change and scale up the impact, both for the business owner, for the customers, and other stakeholders. All right. Um, so then, with everything that we've discussed, what would you say a business model is? Is the audio still not clear? Hello? Hello? Hello. 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 The network body is breaking. Okay. Okay. So let me change my internet and see. I can hear you very well, sir. I can hear you very well. Okay. All right. So my question to you guys is: with everything that we've discussed. Hello. Hello. Okay, let me let me change my internet source and see if that helps. Change it. The thing is cracking. It's very bad in it. Okay, just give me a minute. Hello, is it any better now? Hello? Hello? Yeah, hello, I can hello. hear you. I can hear you. Yeah. 
Hello, I can hear you. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. It's better, it's better now. Hello, please. I cannot hear anything now.
place serving Nigeria should protect enhance our government distinctive question. Until the right wing results in our election become most credible and acceptable to the court. When I listen to your analysis on the position of Nigerians in Ghana, my heart melts. Melted. Is there nothing the government can do to give the people of this nation a good life? Nigerians are suffering both home and abroad. Nothing has been taken for the people. Those that decided to travel abroad are being maltreated, and those back home working with foreign companies are also treated like slaves. Which way, Nigeria? What is the position of this problem? What is the solution? I yes, the question we expect uh, an answer from you. That's the extent uh, you criticize and you make a recommendation. So let's answer is experiencing some uh, internet challenges. Hello. Hi, I can hear you, sir. 
Yeah, yeah, you can go on now. Please just mute your your line if you're not speaking. Just mute your line. Can you hear me now? Hello? Yeah, hello, sir. We can hear you. Okay, my very sincere apologies, please. So we'd have to just try to move fast. Okay, so just let's pull it together um, and just try to explain or define what a business model is. As simply put, it describes the rationale or the logic of how your business or your organization captures value, creates value, delivers value, and captures value. Let's just go through it um, one by one. So how does, what's the logic of a company's, uh, how, what's the logic of how a company creates value? So let's take Uber for instance. Uber creates value by pooling these resources in the way they do to deliver value. So the organization of the same resources that every other competitor with the different sectors of transportation does is the uniqueness with which it pulls it together to create value. So just like you have with housing, you know, somebody has a residential house, or somebody has a house that he still uses it for Airbnb, or somebody takes the same house and, you know, and kind of converts it into a guest house or a short let, short stay accommodation. You know, all of them make money from rentals or the money that people pay, but all those are different. So that's the sense in which a, a company creates value and it is unique to it the way that it pulls it and creates that. How does it deliver value? In what way does the value get across to the users? So there are different ways the value gets. You look at car rental or the taxi or Uber. 
the way they deliver value is different because Uber is able to go to wherever you are on time to pick you. They've gone the next level to even reduce the cost for you to be able to say you can share with other people. You know, so there's that uniqueness that it finds you where you are. You can see the picture of where the closest vehicle is and how long it's going to take you and helps you um, to plan your trip. And you know about how long it's going to take you. In terms of capturing value, you're saying, I have pulled these things together. I've created a product and a service. I've delivered that product and service to you. But how do I capture value for myself as a business and earn the revenue to be able to continue to provide that service and get reward out of that revenue? Now, one of the things you would notice with most of us business people, small businesses, is the fact that we spend so much effort on producing the product or the service. But when it comes to the ways we make money and the pricing, we really don't pay as much attention. And sometimes we don't even realize that we're not making money. So the test of your business model is to say, how have I been able to pull the resources and configure them in a way to create a unique value? Remember there's intense competition out there and your product has a life cycle. And how am I going to be able to get these products across to the people? When I get out to move, my, the taxi is still an option for me and it's cheaper. But there's a barrier to that because it takes me time and it's not convenient. And maybe I have to drive to the road to get it. And then somebody says, oh, there's a pain, there's an opportunity within that space. Let me deliver this value in a different way. And that's what Uber does. You know, so typically you want to weigh, you take your business and say, and answer the question is how unique is the way I create value in the same space with other people doing the same thing? And how is that value getting across to people? Because it gets across easily to many people and in the most convenient way, you have more market opportunity. And how am I going to make money? You see Uber in the way it's structured, you know, you can take any business and apply the same logic and look at the people, the different types of strands of businesses and the way they do it, you know, and say, how, how are they different? So there are unique features that differentiate them. So it is the core of the strategy of your business. So it's one thing to say, like we discussed in that plot of a product life cycle, is the fact that it is not enough to come out with a good product. You have to be able to keep an eye on it, to continue to innovate it. So the next branch of the business model is the business model innovation, so that you continue to stay unique on all these factors of value creation, of delivering the value and capturing value for your business or your organization. So we need to be clear about this. So are there any questions? about our sense of understanding of what a business model is, because we're going to get into now saying, for you to be able to create, deliver, and capture value, there are nine key things you need to be able to tackle. Because they're just like the human body, if one part of it is weak, it's going to affect the others. So any questions on, um, 
understanding of what a business model is. Just write in the charts. So I'll give you a few minutes to just check that so that when we begin that journey, we, we have a good sense of it. And your business model is just what you need to be able to say. So if somebody stops you and says, really, what's your business? What's your business? You've got to be able to say something unique that attracts the person, that the person becomes interested in your product, either as an investor or somebody who wants to use your service or buy your product or use your product. Yeah, Tondu, you wanted to say something? Yeah, no, you, you're asking um, my understanding about the business model. And uh, I think for me... Okay, you're not clear uh, about capturing. So somebody says I'm not clear about capturing value. And what I was saying about capturing value is how does your business make money? How do you create, I mean, how does the value... How do you abstract, extract value for yourself? How do you capture value back to the business or to your organization? So how do you make money in simple terms? For instance, what everybody does is you make a product and you sell. This is asset sale, right? But somebody decides, okay, those who want to buy, I'll sell to them. There are people who want to use just for a while, okay? Because you could look at it and say, the people who are selling cars sell a car. So you have to have tons of money to buy a car, right? But then Uber comes and say, you don't have to pay for a car. So they make money by selling cars. Uber makes money by you using a fraction of a car. Almost maybe a new car, depending. But your car rent out. You go and rent it if you, you don't have money to buy a Mercedes, but you can go and make, rent a Mercedes in a car rental and use for that period. They make their money by you paying for the time that you use this. Okay. So the car rental now charges you for a day. But if we go to Zipcar, Zipcar allows you to rent for hours. You take the car and drive like a car rental, but it's not a day basis. So there are different ways they make money. So it's just like saying a car rental now says, we only make money by you renting a car and it's a minimum of a day. So they capture value that way. They can add another stream that says you can rent a car for a minimum of two hours. That becomes another revenue stream. So all those who are not able to rent those cars because there was no window to rent for less than a day are now able to rent it for a day. Is that clear? Atondo, you had something you wanted to say? Okay, so essentially a business model is a life thing. It's not frozen. I built my business model, I've started my business, and therefore that is it. You have to keep innovating it. That's the sense in which is a life model. All right, um, just to illustrate those, um, those words. So you create and manufacture the product and pull the product together, you deliver. Now you see this is delivered in a kiosk out there, but it could be delivered either to people's homes 
or just like the hockey on the street, or it might really be in a hotel, or anything. But that's the way you decide, I'm going to deliver my service. Just like we see with the transportation thing. So you have a whole bunch of customers, you capture value by getting the revenue that you get from it. And you could do this plot for any type of business that you have. All right, so now that there are a number of frameworks for business model. Um, but the most popular one is the business model canvas, which comes out of this book. And the writing of this book in itself was an example of what a business model can be. So as a writer, you write a book, you go to a publisher, they review the book, they say, Apologies, today is such a bad day. All right, so they then said, okay, we need money to publish these books. How are we going to fund this publishing? Because either a publisher publishes and he gives you a fraction of the money, or you pay to publish it. And they then decided, we're going to get recruits, practitioners, entrepreneurs who have experience, and we'll bring their brains, but they will have to pay to join the club of the writers. So they ended up with 470 practitioners who had to pay from 45 different countries. And what do you get out of this? The funding is kind of crowdsourced. Even the brains is kind of crowdsourced. So you have tons of experience across different cultures and nations, 45 different countries. So in terms of how rich this model is, is a function of the collective experience of 470 plus two and the financing model. And then if you go into the book, if you have a chance to, you will see that inside that book, the way it is written is with a lot of graphics and it's not like a normal book that has all text and then you really don't even see charts in most books. You know, it's uniquely written. And that's a business model at work, okay? But most importantly is, is a product of a PhD research. So it tells you how rich it is. And it's, this is what is basically the gold standard when it comes to business model generation, the business model canvas. So we'll be going through the business model canvas. It has nine components and we'll discuss each one of them. And as we discuss that, just think about it as it relates to your business. So you're playing out your business and reviewing your business and building a business model in the next 30 minutes thereabouts. Okay, this is how a canvas looks. For those who are conversant with, um, I think it's the bono. Um, mind maps, it's everything on one page that allows you to see it and see the connections. So there are nine different blocks with different designations and they are all the different building blocks of a business. 
And this is a typical business model canvas as a template that you can use to build your business model. So sketch it out in your journal. And let's walk through it from right to the left and then to the bottom. Okay. So the first segment is also segments. Just keep this picture. You can download this on the web. You can always find a template. And there's a bit of questions there that would help you. Um, understand what the blog name is. All right. And the other way to look at it is the right side of it from the offering to the customers is the value side of it. You know, that's why you create the value and identify who is there. So the customers are key to the right. The offerings is the value proposition. And to the right is how you create the value the resources that you need, the infrastructure. And at the bottom of it is the finances, both the revenue and the cost that you incur to be able to deliver that. Oftentimes, we take for granted some of the things we're doing, and so we don't cost it, and we think that we're making profit, but we're spending money that we've not accounted for. And what this helps you to do is to have a lesser focus on each of these blocks so you don't miss out things, okay? All right, um, so we'll go through, we'll start with the customer segments. The question oftentimes people struggle with, and most business advisors will ask you, the first question is who are your customers? Because if you don't know who your customers is, who are you making what you're making for? Because what you're making for might not be what the person you think you're getting to likes. Now this is important because if you know who you, your customer is, then the place to find out what the customer's problem and needs are is that person or those group of people. And it then allows you to be able to answer the question, what product am I offering? Because you have a good sense of their needs, their problems, and you want to solve those problems. One of the things is, what jobs are they trying to do? you need to understand the context of the customer. So if you think about accommodation, for instance, if you have a young family that's just husband and wife, or you have a young family with kids that are less than 10 into their teens, or you have, um, you have people with an empty nest, their needs for accommodation are not the same. Their circumstances are not the same. So, what you're trying to do is to say, what jobs are they trying to do? If somebody wants a house to be able to work from there and the convenience for his children to go to school nearby and play area and all that, they want to create a comfortable life for their children. If somebody is sending a child to school, what is he trying to do with that? Some people are just sending their kids to school because they have to go to school. It's what everybody does. So people are very clear, they have an end in mind that they want their child to be X, Y, Z in their career. And so there are the number of soft skills, there are some skills that they need, you know, and they want that. Now, if you understand the kind of customers you're trying to, then it allows you to be able to, in that school, provide those infrastructure and services that would create that complete child, a successful child in his career down the road. There are people who just want certificates, you know. 
So what do they need? Everybody is sending his child to school. So what exactly do they need? But what are the pains they're having? What are the problems people are having with schools, or with administrations in school? Is it the convenience of transport, the classes, the nature of teaching, the skills the kids are coming out with, or the fees, or the way the fees are paid, the scheduling of the payment, and all whatnot? So those things are the things you want to understand about your customers or customer segment. And that helps you to be able to outline and engage them to know exactly what the value proposition, what they need. Now, because it's a whole, you're not looking at just one person, you're looking at a group of people because you need the volume. There are different segments and the markets are structured differently. I'll just go through a few examples of that. Now, the mass market is where, in terms of customer relations, the people, the way they are reached, the channels through their reach, and what they need is just an average, is a mass thing. So, you sell bread, it's almost like a mass product. You sell dairy, it's a mass product. But that's not the same if you're selling luxury fashion you know, very distinct um, products that only a certain people. So we just look at it. The taxi is more or less a mass transport thing, but Uber is not mass transport. So when you take a wide range of people and you're providing your services for them, you cannot be discreet. You would have to be averaging. It's basic minimum standard type thing. So is your product like pure water that you want to go out and sell to anybody on the street? Or you really want to sell premium water in bottles, fancy bottles that people love with bottles and it's convenient for them to carry and put in their car um, slots for their cup. So that's a mass market. So oftentimes in terms of mass market, the product features are not really quite very outstanding. But in a niche market, there is an intimate relationship between the buyer or the customer and the producer, you know, because you take an example of somebody who is manufacturing components for uh, vehicles. He has to have an intimate relationship with the car manufacturer because the car manufacturer is looking at the performance of his car and this component. There giving specifications and making adjustments. But you also are a specialist in those components and you have a chance to be able to educate them about the uniqueness and some of the features that you're having. So you find out that your customer base is narrowed to those people because you can't sell to everybody. You can only sell to XYZ. And XYZ have certain specifications and expectations. And you have to have an intimate relationship to always understand that to be able to provide that for them. So if your business is such a business that is kind of a lifestyle product, or it's more or less um, something that people want a kind of high-end service, you need to pay more attention and understand that that's the segment you are in. Or is it a segmented market? Like you go to the bank, you have Customers who have a lot of money who get special treatment versus the average customer in the bank. 
Because you have a lot of money, you have a customer relationship officer that's able to call you and do anything you want done without coming to the banking hall. The average customer is coming, having to come to the bank to do certain things. Or you fly the semi aircraft, or somebody is in first class or business class, and he gets special privileges from lounge to the food that you get, the seat and all whatnot. So that's the sense in which it's segmented. So there's one big platform that provides a service like the plane, but there's differentiation and that comes at a premium. And so they make more money on those kind of high-end customers. So it's a business that sort, you need to kind of think about it and say, how am I going to differentiate the segments? Okay, or is your business like Jumia or Amazon? In multi-sided platforms, you have two customer segments, more or less. So there are people who are supplying the goods and there are people who are buying the goods, but you create the platform for that interaction without Jumia, Amazon, eBay, and all the like. So it is that understanding of the customer. So you cannot just focus on customers and forget on the suppliers of the goods in multi-sided platforms because you need to manage that. I bought things only once from Jumia because what was sent to me was a used product. And since then I've not bought anything. And that's the kind of thing that matters for you to be able to manage both ends. So they've lost me as a customer because I wasn't happy with what I got. Now if they had managed the other end, then I would have stayed in as a customer. But maybe it doesn't matter that it's only me, but there could be others like me. Okay. So big question, first question you need to answer is who are you doing this business for? Who are you catering for? Whose needs do you want to meet? Whose pains do you want to remove? Now, when you know, so the thing here is to be very careful that you don't have too many customer segments and, gets, and it gets complex because you're going to begin to map your customer segment to the value proposition for each customer segment. So if you take Uber, for instance, Uber's customer segments is people who don't own cars, people who, who need an affordable ride, or, the, or maybe they need a premium ride, it's a quick ride, and they're looking for convenient car bookies. And sometimes people can't drive on their own. So that helps you to identify who you're serving. Okay, now once you know who your customer segment is, the next question is for customer segment one, what value are you creating for them? You answer that. Customer segment two, what value are you creating for them? So that it is distinct. So the individual circumstance is important and helps you understand what their needs and what pains you need to remove them. If somebody is a single parent, that's a different circumstance to somebody who is um, somebody who is, I mean, a, a husband and wife. Okay. And some of the things you want to consider when you're looking at value comp 
proposition for each of these customer segments is, is price an issue? How are you going to make an offer that solves the question of pricing and it's convenient? Are people looking for the new features in a product or a service? You know, or is it that they get the same service but the performance is an issue? And what you're looking at is really providing a product or a service that gives better value in terms of performance. Or is it customization that allows people to say, okay, um, I need a car. My most crucial need is being able to move from one place to another with a reliable car, a decent car. So I can do without leather seat, which saves money. I can do without a wooden dashboard. I can do without AC. Those sort of things that allows people to customize. And you see cars are moved to that level. I talked about jobs to be done. What is somebody trying to accomplish? Big picture. And I made that example with going to school, sending your kid to school. The real big picture, the end game. If you have that understanding of the end game in the person's use of your product and service, then it helps you to be able to build that product better. You know, so you're building a house for somebody or you're renting a house for somebody. If you understand the kind of convenience that it wants, you know, or is it cost reduction or is it accessibility? You may just have one shop in town in Abuja and it's so difficult for people to get to. So it's the barrier for people really access to your service. And what do you need to do to be able to make it available to them? Or is it risk reduction? So these are some of the things, it's not everything, that you really want to just think through in looking at what value proposition to offer a customer. Okay. And remember, this is always linked um, this is always linked to the customer segment. And one of the things we always try to emphasize is the fact that we as entrepreneurs always think we know it, we've thought through it, we've been thinking about it for years, we've seen opportunities, we have it in our head. But at the same time, we know that many, many businesses have failed. And part of the reason why they fail is that we've made assumptions that were not true. And so the key thing in entrepreneurship is go talk to the people that you say you're providing this product or service for so that you understand them on all these elements that we discussed and you're coming back. And the whole idea of the business model is, now I've been thinking about it, I've built a business model, completed this whole shit, and then go the next step. Begin to talk to the customer segments I've identified. And I'll find out that some things I had are not feasible and some things I didn't even think about it. And I will update it. That becomes my version too. So typically on a board, you use yellow stickies or a pencil. And you keep updating as you keep engaging with customers, with your customer segment, so that you understand what they're looking for. And you understand what you need, what resources you need to be able to make that. OK? So. Um, somebody said you are a startup, so do you do premium or what do you do? It all comes out of your engagement with customers. So you need to understand what they really need, what pains they are going through, and you can remove those pains and it will be big relief for them and they are willing to pay you. And you have to be, to sense that they are willing to pay, they, they have the capacity to be able to pay. 
Okay, I'm going to move fast because we don't have the luxury of time. We've lost time and we can start early here. So you look at, I talked about the multi-sided platform and you look at Uber, they have clear value proposition for passengers, they have clear value proposition for drivers. Those are the two ends of the multi-sided platform. Okay. Now, the intersection between your customer segment and the value that you offer to them. Um, I just want to stress this point here. Your competitors are out there, they have already provided services. You are coming into the market, you are providing certain things they are also providing. And that is that intersection between your company's capabilities, the customer needs and competitors. You're not going to win by being in the center where the three intersect. Because these guys have been in the game before you, you may try to improve on some of the features, but that uniqueness of your product and your service is really going to be where those customer needs that are not being addressed by competitors is addressed by your company. And so when you look at your product offerings or your service offerings and the features, you need to be able to map which features fall in the center here and which features fall in this sweet spot. And if you really don't have anything significant in that sweet spot, you're really setting yourself for competition. And the consequences of competition is price. These guys have been in the game, they have skill, and they can charge less. And if you charge what they charge sometimes, you might not make as much profit. But if you offer what nobody offers, you have a chance to get a better price. So it's, think about it when you think about the value that you're offering and to make sure that there's something unique that you offer that nobody else does. Okay, now once you know your customer segment, you know the value you're offering to them, how are they going to be able to assess that value through which channels? Take a bank, for instance. You know, there are different channels through which you can do banking. But in principle, all that you're looking at is this, how are you going to be able to reach these customer segments? What you want to do is to give them a customer experience. And the reality today is that customers have become so sophisticated that even when it is a product, they want a bit of an experience. I go to buy AC, that's what we usually do. But if somebody comes and says, I'm going to deliver this AC and install it for you, I'm going to remind you when it needs to be serviced and I can provide the service, it's likely to give me a better experience because the reason I buy AC is cooling. I want cooling all the time and I don't want it to fail. And in that process, there's communication that you need to make to be able to create awareness for somebody to be able to take a decision to procure the services from you. There's a sales and a purchase process that needs to be convenient. Through what channels can that be done that is most convenient? I walk into your shop and you say, no POS, and I don't have cash, and I have to go and get 100,000. I can easily do that somewhere else and not come to you or distribution. I have to go and pick it, I have to install it and all that. So those are the things you look at in creating the channels to make it convenient. But if you, if you think carefully, there's a process, you know, in your getting to engage a service. So if you walk through the channel phase, 
I need to take a decision to buy something, but I can only take that decision if I have information. So I need awareness about the product or a service to allow me to be able to take that decision. And in taking that decision, I'm evaluating, and I can only evaluate on the basis of the information that you've made available to me through your marketing and the infrastructure that you have. And once I've done that evaluation, I need to make a purchase. Are there convenient channels for me to easily make that purchase? Or there are hurdles and barriers that can become the thing that discourages me from making that purchase? And is the delivery really going to be convenient for me? So you're kind of thinking through, you know, what channels would work for awareness for the evaluation process? Amazon, for instance, would give you a book, you display it, but you see reviews by people. That helps you to be able to say, oh, this book looks good. But Amazon has gotten that done for free. Otherwise, they would have to pay people to review those books. They would deliver to me so I don't have to go to a bookshop. Yeah, I can pay online. And then there's after sales. This like I was talking about the AC. So you really need to be able to think for the product and service that I create, what channels do I need to be able to answer these channel faces of the transaction? Yeah. So you look at Uber, for instance, you have, they have all these channels through which you can reach people. And I talked about the bank, ATM is the internet banking mobile app and all that. Those are all examples of channels. Yeah. So the other thing is you want a relationship. Relationship is long term. It's not just a meeting. And the crucial thing about relationships is relationship management in your business is because one, you need to get customers. Two, you need to keep them. And three, you need to get them to buy more and therefore grow them. The cost of customer acquisition is high. So once you get them, you need to keep them, you need to tap as much as sales from them. Uh, okay, can the value offering be slightly different in packaging? Well, I guess the milk case is the one that we already know. So. Um, Carbell is a Carbell or who that's selling this milk that's retail milk that's got gone places and pick was hard to kind of copy them. Okay, but the thing is, a relationship. What kind of relationship do customers want? Do they need personal assistance that an individual needs to assist them in getting things done? You know, whether it is like all this customer relationship thing, or is the self-service thing that is really does not require a human being to do it, you know, or is it an automated service that gets done, or is it a community of users where they are sharing experiences about your product and creating awareness and um, a sense of um, strong relationship and bond with your with your product or service, because it gives you also the opportunity to be able to give them information. I was talking with somebody. If you go to people and say, what do you want? It is not the same with going to them and saying, okay, this is the way things are. Create awareness, give them the data. And then you say, 
what do you want? What do you think would be good for you? They have information on which to take a decision. And that communities give you that forum or interaction for your users to be able to engage. Now, when you go to co-creation within that community, people are then feeling comfortable, whether as your service providers, your suppliers, or your customers, they're giving you feedback and giving you ideas. And they may have used your product in a different application that you didn't think, and that could have opened up a new market opportunity for you. Or that you're able to add in more features that you didn't think about because you got the feedback from them. So that community, that relationship allows you to be able to create that. Now, the difference between customer relationship and channel, like channel is more like a facilitator of a customer relationship because it's a long-term bond type thing that allows you to explore more dimensions. But channel is just use this to get things done. But beyond that, what is it creating? Is it creating a bond? You want to be able to make sure that there's that bond. Okay. Okay, I don't have time, so I'm not going to go through these over examples. Okay, so once you've been able to define what customers really want, the question is how are you going to make money? What are they willing to pay for and how do you make money? I talked about asset sale initially. So you sell a product, okay? So you're selling gym equipment. That's your business. So you sell gyms, I mean, uh, maybe a treadmill. But you could really put a treadmill in a gym and charge people for using it by use. Or you could charge them for subscription and they pay periodically. What that allows you to do is to get that money off from for the year. Okay, or you could really be lending, renting, or leasing that thing, just like I mean the treadmill that I was talking about. So then, if I'm leasing, then I'm able to take it to my house and use it. I pay you for the use for the year. Or if it's licensing fee because you have some intellectual property and some knowledge, or like software, you can't. People can pay. I mean, so you know how to compound drinks. So formulate drinks or foods. And some people want to manufacture food, they don't know how to do that. You could do that at license and perhaps get paid for it one time, or perhaps get paid a product. You have a markup on it. So appropriate is what you know, you get paid for intermediation, facilitating, facilitating. Now, it doesn't mean this is all. There are other ways. The key issue here is that you really need to think that even for the same products that you have, you think about different ways of making money. Isinia has a training room. So as long as training is not done, the place is like there. And Isinia could decide to be renting out that space and make money, which maybe that was not part. I have a friend who has a banana orchard. The whole game plan was he would sell banana and make money. Before banana is producing, he has suckers that are sprouting from the banana plants and he's making more money from the suckers that he's selling to other people as siblings. If he had thought through it all the while from start, he would have known that he could make money from the suckers. And that's what you say when you think in terms of a circular economy, you're thinking much broadly, more holistic, 360 degrees, you're looking at ways you can make money and there's no waste in the system. Okay? 
I was talking to somebody who is doing palm fruits, I mean palm farm, and he wasn't making money from palm kernels, you know. But now he realizes there's money to be made, but it has been there. So it's those sort of things that you think about. Okay, so your revenue is key. You're going to spend time thinking about it and how you set that up. Make sure you make enough money. Now, once you've defined the value and how you can make money, the left side is the infrastructure. How do you deliver the business? First one is the resources. What are the key resources that this business model, this business model requires to be able to deliver the business? Um, so you need buildings, equipment, and all that. So there are physical resources. The thing to remember is what kind of building equipment do you need? If your business does not require an office in central Abuja, you don't spend money doing that. If your business requires limited space, use that. You know, if it requires equipment, what kind of equipment? You know, so you're taking these decisions, you list the kind of things you need, but you're also looking at what's the best way What's the best format for these resources? Is it owning your own building or renting a building that is financially prudent? Because if you go and build a building and you take loan, your balance sheet will show that you have a liability. Yes, it's an asset. But if you buy some equipment that you don't need or you only use for maybe once a week, you're buying that equipment and paying loan on it when you could do. So you need to take those decisions First, list the resources that you need for the physical, for instance, and then what's the best way, in what best format can you do that? So you come to finance, you need money, but in what form? You need to finance it. Is it debt? So you're taking loan, or are you getting equity because somebody has something to offer that you're not going to pay interest? If you perform, you get, if you don't, you don't pay anything. Or are you raising bonds? So you're taking those decisions between financial and physical, we're saying, am I renting or am I buying? And if your business is more brain-minded, I mean, it's more intellectual, maybe you need patents, you need branding, you need IT infrastructure and all that. What are those things that you need? And then we all need staff to be able to do things, but there are certain specialities that you need. So you need to be able to identify that. But you're also thinking, because when you come to cost structure, it's going to cost you all these things. But you want to find the most cost-efficient way. Are you going to hire specialists, or are you are going to full-time staff, or are you going to get him to come and work for you when you need him? You know, and you pay less. So those are things you think, but you should list all the key resources that you need. This framework helps you to just brainstorm to say, what are the fiscal things I need? What are the financials I need? A financial could really be saying, I need a credit line from a supplier that can allow me to pay for two, after two months or after one month. I was talking to somebody yesterday and I said, this guy has a massive feed meal. But he's not keen on coming to the bank to take loan. Why? Because he pays his suppliers after two months. So they're basically financing his business. You know. Okay, so once you know those resources and send it, you're looking at, so what are the things you need to do? What activities need to happen to deliver? So you need to produce. If there are specific problems you need to solve, if your business is like consultancy, 
so advisory and all those sort of things. So it's a platform network type of business. What are the key activities you need to do to be able to, to deliver on that? So um, it's so that it's it's important that you really think that think about all the things that you need to do to be able to deliver that services, those activities that are essential. And if you need special skills and knowledge, especially if you are into consulting, consultancy and those certifications, you need to be able to, to think about that and getting that done. Okay. Now, so I sort of bit more time here, key partners. I mean, the PNG, one of former PNG MDs that used to say that no company, no matter how rich it is, has the resources to be able to get all the brains that it needs under its belt as staff. So there are brilliant people with brilliant ideas outside your company, but how can you leverage what they have? Either as people who are working with you, like your suppliers or people you're buying services from, or as people who are independent, how can you relate with them and partner with them? So you can form strategic alliances with those people and do certain things that you can't do. Okay? You run a hotel, but you can have a strategic alliance with maybe a car rental company or an airline or booking.com you're not well maybe booking.com is maybe a competitor but a car rental service is not really a competitor for you okay well you have i think i see a lot of people have farms but you can do partnership with certain people you have a plantation somebody is doing beekeeping and you can basically keep those bees in your plantation because it's you're not doing anything, but you can create value by that and get something. So those are the things you look at and say, who can I partner with to create another revenue stream, an activity that is not doing what I'm doing? Now the other level is your competitors can become the people that you do business with. Yes, you're competing. All of you go to buy raw materials, for instance. So what if you have, and that's why people have all these industry associations. They're doing the same business, but they're collaborating. Because if they say, we buy X amount of raw materials, and this year our price is so, so much. The people selling have to sell to you at that price. But because you're buying volume, and because you're as a group, you're able to negotiate better terms with them, whether in terms of payment or even price. So there's scope for you to, to collaborate with your competitors. You're buying feed. It's just like this thing that we do. And I think a classical example is housing. In an housing estate of maybe 200 houses, everybody builds a hole, everybody, a wall around his house, everybody builds a bowl, everybody does a soccer way. Everybody has a gut. Compare that to say, we have an housing estate with a common service. How many bowls would you need? How many walls would you need? How many guards would you need? Those sort of things is what you want to do and drive down your costs. Or you're getting into a new business that you, <coughs> excuse me, that you don't have the expertise and the experience, you know, 
and you can't do it, but you know, somebody else knows it better, or he doesn't have the money, or he doesn't have the property or the space, and you collaborate with them to get into that business. Yeah? And this is very important because what you've seen is you can wake up and find that your business is no more viable because the situation has changed. The other thing is your buyer-supplier relationship. And here you're not just saying I'm doing transactions and buying raw materials or whatever from people. You're actually building a relationship with them. So if I have a supplier who is willing to give me credit terms, who is able to give me process this thing in a way that gives me best quality on a consistent basis because he understands my need. And when my need changes and I'm able to have an engagement with him and he understands and tweaks his process, his product offering to me to be able to meet my need. Those are the kind of relationships you want to have. So you don't keep buying stuff from every Tom, Dick and Harry that will disappoint you one day. You want to build relationships with the reliable ones with backups to be able to get what you want. I mean, good value. But part of why you do this is because you really want to be able to get good value and economy of scale. So if, if you have demand, but you don't have the capital and your customer is willing to leave their credit line and you can sell, then you have this opportunity of kind of economy of scale. So there's cost reduction because you're not paying interest on a loan that you'd have taken or you're sharing infrastructure and maximizing the use of what is there. Okay, or you really want to take kind of some risk reduction. I like the instruction and insurance guy gives. You take money to buy an equipment. You don't insure the equipment, disaster comes. You have to pay for the equipment. Your business is no more there. But if you took insurance, you would then be able to get a replacement, your business continues, you're up to date with paying your loan and you're not sinking, you know? And you can do some of these partnerships also with competitors, just like we were discussing, and that helps you reduce risk. Security of supply, because you can wake up and find out that you cannot get raw materials. But if you have strategic partnerships, either directly or with your competitors and your suppliers. It gives you a security of supplier, reduces the risk. Okay. So the last one is the cost structure. Um, I think you spoke extensively with uh, Jonathan yesterday on the financial side of things. But there are two lenses with which you can look at the cost structure of your business, depending on the type of business. So if you are a normal business, your cost structure will be kind of cost driven. You're getting, you're trying to get the best price because you know that you don't, you're not charging premium price for your product or service. However, if you, if you are into luxury type products and you're offering premium products, then you're kind of value driven. You can go the extra mile to spend money because you know that your, your customers are paying you so well that you can afford to go the extra mile to give them um, that level of quality. Um, fixed costs and variable costs, I think we discussed it yesterday. Economy of scale is really leveraging what 
your capacity to be able to produce more so that your unit cost comes down. An economy of scope is saying, I really have this infrastructure and these relationships, but I can use these relationships to create new business opportunities. That's not really the product that I'm manufacturing. So I'm housing somebody who is able to do something in the same property because I have space and I'm maximizing that. Or I have some brilliant, talented people in my staff that can provide certain services that's outside that scope. So you're using what you have to get more, like Jim Cleave would say, use what you have to get what you want. Um, so that's the sense in which, so you're really looking at saying, what do I have? What can I use what I have to make more money? Or how can I produce what I'm producing in large quantities so that the unit cost of it can come down and makes it more profitable? So that's essentially what a business model um, canvas looks like. And by the time you go around all this, and the thing to remember with cost structure is be deliberate to capture the cost of every single thing, phone, your housing, your salary, you're not paying yourself, but you need to factor it so that when you do pricing, you're capturing that cost. And one of the big mistakes is pay for what you need. Don't go rent a shop in a place just because that's what looks good. And then you're spending money to rent a shop, decorating it, and then the next thing is after one year, you're having to move out because you're not making enough money or two years. So those are things you really need to think of. Essentially, that is it. Your business model gives you the real strategy, the real thought process, and defines the boundaries and really becomes um, very granular with defining the product and the service in a way that it meets customer needs and guarantees sustainability because you're building these relationships and you're not missing out on how you make money. You're not missing out on what it takes for you to deliver that value. So um, time is not our best friend. If there's any hot question at this point, I can answer that. Then we move to the business plan because that is crucial for all of you. Somebody said, is it wise to have your competitors as key partners in business? That's essentially what we said. The issue is levels. So you need to know at what level you're having that partnership, that it's not at the heart of your business for them to steal your business secret and undermine you. Okay. So I don't have, uh, somebody said the slide on key activities. Is it this one? Okay. Uh, yes, thank you very much. Okay. So I would uh, go through the... Um, I'll go through the business plan template that NASA Microfinance Bank has and we'll walk through it. I guess that way you get a good sense of um, what it means. What I would encourage you is, is actually to be able to 
do this yourself because it allows you to really think through what you're doing. A lot of people think that it's so difficult, right? But it's not really that difficult. You need to dare it. We're available to, um, available to help you if you have any questions. But the point is, if as a small business person, you're struggling to with capital, you should spend money on what you have to spend money on. But of course, if you're so busy that you'd rather pay and the value of your time is more than what it takes to do the business plan, then yes, you can pay for it to be done. But you then need to be involved in getting that done. So, um, I'm trying to get the business plan. Sometimes it's a bit slow. Okay, so once we get into the login details that you have, that your profile was created, is what you need to go into the nice outlook page. You know, to see a business script, a business plan option that takes you to simplified credit business plan that costs five thousand and you pay for it online and once you pay it gives you the business plan templates and let's start completing it okay so this is my page i already have a completed business plan but i have access to it up till now so the first thing that is going to ask of you is to provide personal details so it will go through the stop bar that you see go from personal information company details marketing, financial analysis, and all the rest. They require you to do this. And once you do this and you submit it online, they will receive it. And then they'll schedule you for interview and they'll call you for an interview. They would ask you to come with a copy because you would get a link to your email and you can print out a copy. Okay, so the first thing is that you provide your basic information. Once you've done that, I'm not going to go through that. Those, I think they're fairly straightforward. Your particulars, um, ID, and then it tells you what's, what's your education. If you have certificates for your education, what's the name of your business? If you don't have a registered business, then you really don't have um, anything to, to write here. However, Oftentimes people have been running businesses, but they've not registered. And it's going to ask you the question, is it an existing business or a startup? If you're a startup, nobody wants to give you 10 million. But if you're an existing business, so it might be helpful for you to say, let me register the business before I complete this application. So I have a corporate name. And when I say I'm an existing business, put your structure to the business. Truth about it is you need money to do the business and the banks are the best option. Hey, please. 
So, um, so if you really need to fund your business, you need the banks, and if you need, and for you to do that, you need to be able to to have what they require of you. Okay, so then it asks you whether you're a member of an association or not. In your, and are so, you interested sorry, in joining like, a cooperative or a trade association? Hello, excuse me, then sir. You come and you need to do a SWOT analysis. The SWOT analysis is strength, weakness, opportunities, and threats. So your strengths are what are those things you're good at as a business? What do you have control over? Okay, if your product offering is something strong, so here I say, look, I'm going to save money and I offer them a better product. We can move, we have mobility, we are a cash business, we're not a credit business. These are strong points for our business. And you go to your witness, what are the internal weaknesses? What do people see as where you are lacking as a business? You know, is it the capital that you don't have? Or is it you, or is it um, you don't have enough staff? Or you need additional equipment and all that? So what's making you not really perform at your best as a business? You know, or is it that you don't have know-how? balance with that. So there are basically three rules. So you should be able to have minimum of three items under each. Now the threats are those things that are outside your control. So it's the flip side of weakness. They're all weaknesses, but the external weaknesses. What are those things that can really flow your business that you don't have control over? Security, for instance, foreign exchange rate, for instance, the economy slows down, so demand slows down, you know, and where are the opportunities? I see a lot of people are into agri, you know, borders are closed. Important things is more expensive now. There's more drive towards that. The government policy, there's more funding for it, you know, and all that. So you really need to just reflect and you need to understand your business to be able to do that. And it should make sense to anybody who's appraising your business to put in money into it. Yeah? If you have any questions, just put it in the chat. Okay, so it's important to understand the threats to your business. And ideally, outside this business plan, you need to be able to say, so what is my mitigation for each of these threats and weaknesses? I've had a lot of people say, I won't apply for those. I'm not, will they give the money? If not applied, how will they give you the money? You've never had the money all this while. So you go to try it, but put in your best endeavor. Yeah? So then it is going to ask you the ownership of the company, the management, and list the people who are the shareholders and all that. Then what sector are you engaging with your business? And then you'll be asked to put in the subsector of the business. So you see a pull down menu. Choose what is relevant to you. I had a guy who was who is selling cars. He didn't have car sales in there. So he, he basically what he did was um, he was basically just going to rent out cars, transportation. So then you provide a brief overview of the nature of your business, which is almost like a pitch. How do you in a short paragraph describe your business's uniqueness and its attractiveness? That's what you need to craft and put in here. 
Then are you an existing business or a startup and for how long have you been existing? Stay true to the facts. Uh, what's the purpose for this business plan? You can easily say it's to secure a loan. But the logic is that if you're really paying attention to it, to use it to help the business, then you also should tick to guide my operations. Yeah, there are other options there. They're fairly straightforward, so you make a decision. Now, when it comes to marketing, it's asking you who are your key competitors. So you need to be able to call up somebody who's your competitor, maybe just group them. And then what is the price of the individual company's products, which is your own price? What's the price of the competitor? What's the region of competition? Is it Abuja or is it Kaduna State? Local government, what's the difference? Add as many rules depending on the different products that you're producing or service that you're offering. And then you go to advertising and sales, how are you going to advertise your product or service? What's your preferred way of doing that? Uh, what medium would you use? You just take them and then you go to your target customers. Are you servicing people, individuals or businesses or is it both take as applicable? Um, how many customers are you targeting? What age category, what gender? Pick that, are you doing export or domestic or both? And which states are you operating? You just pick those states. It allows you to pick as many states as you're operating in. So it's countrywide when you state that. And then you specify the medium how you sell your product. How long do you work? Do you work on holidays and all that? They're fairly straightforward questions. How many days a week? You answer that. And then you need to come in. This is very important that you state the products here. This is the product you can add more rows for the different products. What's the quantity you're producing at what frequency? So if it's monthly, 12 per year, which is monthly, you're producing this quantity, the price is this much, the company price, the retail price is this much. It describes the product and then, now note here, the last two columns are direct labor and material used. What they expect you in each of these columns is that it must be 100%. So if you have two products, the top and bottom should add up to 100 for direct label. And then for material use, everything you put in that row should add up to 100. If it doesn't, the system will reject it. Then you would answer questions. How much percentage of the products do you produce in a year do you expect to sell? Are you selling 100% or you will only be able to sell X percent? So you just list that and then at what rate would you increase volume on yearly basis? At what rate would you increase price on yearly basis? And then you come down, if you have stated the volume of the products that you're going to produce monthly, then you need to work out your expenses. What's your cost of sales? So you list them, salaries, raw materials, utilities, administration, overhead and all that. There's a pull down menu. Work out that cost, input that number. What it normally asks of you is any row that you have, you have to fill the cells as you will see as we go down. 
So this is why your cost is captured. So your revenue is upstream, up here from sales. Your expenses is down here. What it costs you to produce and what it costs you as overhead cost. Then when you come down here, it's going to ask you what assets do you have as a company? So you list it. The pull down menu you choose as per what you have, and you state which year you acquired it on the last month and what the value is when you bought it. So, then how much money do you have in your bank, your current assets? You would have talked about that yesterday. Then, there are a few questions on finances how long does it take you to collect your money? How long does it take you to pay your creditors? How much inventory do you keep? Do you have an existing loan? You need to be truthful if you have one in the bank because they will check it. You'll do a credit check. So, um, let me see. Okay. So you come to your funding requirements. You need a loan. So you state it. How much money do you need? Where are you getting the money? Microfinance, based on microfinance. What do you need the money for? The structure is that they will give you 70% of the amount to buy equipment, 30% as working capital. Now, sometimes your business is too capital, working capital intense, so you need to discuss that when you go to your interview. Okay, here I said you wanted all the money to buy equipment. So then you go to what do you want to buy? Is it new equipment or old equipment? List the equipment. Okay. What's the name of the equipment? What are you going to use it for? How many of them? What's the cost? Unit cost. What's the total cost? So if you're buying used equipment, then you need to put in something not applicable, zero, zero, for new equipment and fill your used equipment. If you're buying new and used, fill it appropriately. At least the equipment you can add was. Um, when would you like to start this loan? How long? How are you going to pay? Is it quarterly, half yearly, or whatever or monthly? The interest is fixed. Do you need moratorium? How long? Six months before you start paying. Now, your loan amount will show you here on all the terms. However, you need to press this calculate. This calculate will show whether it works or it doesn't. If you're not making enough money to be able to pay the loan within the number of years, then we'll tell you that it's not, it's not accepting it. So you have to go back and look your revenue profile versus the amount you want to take. You need to be careful that you actually just put in the money that you know you need. So don't push your numbers. I mean, the money that you know you, you reasonably can generate, don't push your numbers just because you want to be able to get the loan to fly and then you go and you're struggling. The idea of the business plan is to also guide you. Okay. So, so once you press calculate and it says that it's, and it doesn't accept it, then you need to go back and relook your numbers. The last bit is, you need to put in your guarantors, their contact and addresses, and then 
will ask you to upload your passport and a picture of your business. So if they said your business is existing, you should have a picture. Okay. I'm not too sure I've seen sometimes it asks you to upload three years or is it two years financial bank statement. But sometimes it doesn't show. I don't know what it's like now. So that's basically completes it. So once you continue, you submit, you get an email. It's then submitted online. You get an email with a link. And if you click that link in your email, you can download your copy. So your copy would look like this. I'm just trying to get one. Um, by the way, you So you're going to get a business plan like this, and then you just print it. It will do the analytics and plot like this. It will take those numbers and generate. It does your industry view analysis. Hello. Can you guys hear me? Hello? Uh, hello, we're here. Okay. Here. So we'll try to wrap up now. Um, I think we didn't get the okay, slide. The, the, we didn't get the last slide you talked about just now. Okay. So the, the other thing I just want to stress is. So how does the business model relate with, with the business plan? Okay, so your business plan basically, you, you really want a document, a detailed description of how your business will achieve its goals. Financiers, investors, and employees need that. 
Employees need it as a guide, as a roadmap for them to operate the plan and deliver. And the funders want to see that it demonstrates viability and they are comfortable that the business can generate money to be able to pay off the loan. Yeah. So you should be clear what your thought process, your vision or strategy is, your customer segment, products and services you're offering, and that you demonstrate an understanding of your industry and where you're pitching. What's the market size? How are you going to market it? Your understanding of competitors and what stands you out against competition. So what's your competitive advantage? And they want a forecast of that revenue that shows profitability and a growth plan. Typically, NICEL templates projects for seven years. So who are the people who are going to deliver the business and their competencies? So they ask you, is it only you? And if the business is so complex that it's only you, it raises a question as to whether you really can deliver the numbers that you put in there. Okay. So, but you realize that if you have a very good understanding and a well thought out business model, it is easy for you to write a business plan. Okay. Um, this is just the content that we discussed. So we just walked through the business plan. Um, I think I'll skip this. Mamban has spoken to you about in the lane startup. So just some key features. <coughs> Excuse me. So your business model kind of is a visual thing and it's a live document. It helps you to make a pitch. We're in the business of doing this and we do it this way. And this is the way we make money. It describes your business. It has an intense focus on your customer value and less emphasis on numbers you would have noticed. When we went to cost structure and revenue, it was just talking about strategy. This is the way we make money. We didn't talk about the real numbers, okay? But it provides opportunity for if you have 20 people and you say, let's discuss a business plan, you go page by page. But if, if you say, let's discuss this business model canvas, Everything is on the board on the wall and you're walking through it and you can make a connection from one block to another. You can put in ideas and take away ideas. It's excellent for brainstorming and it helps you get started. Now, once, like I tried to demonstrate with the app, Okay, I guess we're back. So you guys, your business, so you, the guys in the business know what they're, they're supposed to do. The investors will look and say, you projected you're going to earn this much. What's actual? Okay, so it looks at your business from the owner's and customer's perspective. There's a strong emphasis on finance and numbers because any business that doesn't, business plan that doesn't have financials, nobody is going to look at it to give you money. And it's not structured to help you brainstorm. It helps you to be able to deliver the business and to guide you in execution. 
So if your projection for September, you know, at the end of September, you're looking at it, then you're able to say what went wrong, what didn't we do right, what really thing, what are we going to change in October? It helps you get that detailed. And it's more like an execution document, but mainly for funding. You're writing this primarily for funding, but keep in mind, funding always stands on the back of your ability to pay. And once you lose credibility, you can't get funding again. And because you're putting everything into a business, you want to make it survive and grow. Because our options are limited as business people. You know, and we're still in today's time. So take your business plan serious, think it through, but anchor your business plan on the business model. Talk to your customers, talk to people, be willing to listen to people. A lot of us sometimes don't want to listen to people. We are hell-bent on our way. So you'll find out with most people who have done business and from experience that we make a lot of mistakes. And we need to learn from other people and not make the mistakes they've made. So um, that's basically the end. Sorry it took so much time. If um, you need any clarification, get back to me and I can answer those questions. You start doing the business plan and you run into um, a block. Let me know if I can help. So it costs so much to get any business done in this country. So you really want to make it succeed. So it's worth the labor and the pain you've been through. Thank you very much. I'm sorry for the extra time and the network issues. Mampa. Hello. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Yahya, thank you very much, sir. For mm. I want to ask a question. Okay. Yeah, uh, um, about the, because you were <clears throat> saying, unless the business is registered, you may not be able to get as much as um, to achieving, probably if you have a bigger budget for the business proposal. Hello. Yeah, so it, it uh, what I'm saying was a startup. Yeah. No, I mean as a startup. Yeah, yeah, the no, question is this. You, you, you don't have, have experience, right? Yes. But so you have somebody who's been doing business has some experience, so they're, they're bound to be a bit more disposed. Yeah, so I'm, I'm referring to you have been doing business, but you have not yet registered to obtain your CAC. Probably you have a business name registration. Can that suffice? Well, so what I was saying was this. I'm not aware that they will not give you approval loan for you because you're not registered. However, businesses that are structured will get preference. And if you build a profile from your business, and let, and let me put it this way. The truth about it is you're not running a business well to impress anybody if you're not registered because you're putting the money in your account and spending it any way you want. You don't have accounts. Because I don't see how you would have accounts when you're running it like your thing, you know. And even those who are registered, if you ever ask now how many people have done accounts, 
who are even using an account and an accounting records. Very few of us do that. So the issue is, if you are designing for growth, and I like this analogy, the truth about it is the difference between you, a small company, and Nestle, or even Dangote, you're all doing the same business. It's just that your scale is different. You can't say you don't need a lawyer. You need a lawyer so that you don't make the mistakes that can hook you. But you cannot pay a lawyer, but you can get your friends or get somebody who can just do a task for you to answer that legal question. You're hiring. And once that's one of the biggest issues, yes, we don't have money to hire a HR person, but there are people that can help you hire. And we make mistakes with hiring and it hurts us because we think we're not big and we don't need HR services. You need HR services because you need to hire the right person. And you need to be able to define his job and be able to evaluate the person so that you can tell yourself that this person cost me this much in salary and emoluments, but he created this value because this is the task that he did. And if somebody is not creating enough value to pay his salary, then you have a problem. But how would you know if you don't have the structure? So there's a design for growth. And if you don't design for growth, you're not going to grow. In fact, you can think you're making money and you're not making money because you don't understand the numbers. You didn't even capture the numbers and you didn't structure them well to understand whether you're making money or not. That's the key thing about structuring your business. And just check out the Smidam 2017 MSME report. You'll be shocked how many businesses are really structured and registered that can walk into the bank and have the documents to say. And there's credit everywhere now, but you can't get it if you're not a business. You can get the small, small ones maybe. But for most of us, we are young, we are many years ahead of us. Everything you have to pay for. And in, and in today's world, you need to have reserves because when bad times come, you fall on your reserves. We can't afford to just spend whatever we have. But how do we get it if we don't create the stuff? So structure will help you do that. Yeah. Sorry, Michael, there was no break. Circumstance. My apologies. All right. I guess my partner is not there, so. But that is it. I reckon tomorrow you continue with your class. They would advise you on what next. Um, thank you for your time. Um, yeah, hello. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, please, I've missed the first slide on uh, writing a business. If you can kindly bring it back for me to know how to go to the site on how to write a business plan. How to write it? I'm not too sure. 
I'm not too sure I had a slide on how to use this one. I was just to say what a business plan is. Is it this one? Eh? Uh, well, I'm not seeing anything yet on the screen. Uh, All right. Thank you. I wish you all the best. Okay. Okay, if anybody has any issues, get back to Hong Kong or Glory, please. So, any administrative issues. Thank you. Bye.
Please, are we allowed to leave the meeting? Hello, please, are we allowed to leave the meeting? Please, can anyone hear me? Is this meeting over? Okay, those are 